It's uh, good to see all of you. I'm going to go ahead and get started here. I, we're going to have on our, see if I can get this to work this Sunday. I think it's right here. So, I don't know. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, um, I'm going to preach uh, today on a thought of why the birth of Jesus matters. And of course, we have heard over the last couple of years about all kinds of things that matter out in society, right? And so uh, I thought, well, maybe we'd actually talk about what really matters, you know, uh, not just in this life, because there are things that matter in this life. There are social issues, there are all kinds of things happening in our world today, wars, and uh, we know that people are struggling financially. So there's a lot of things matter, but they only matter in this life. The birth of Jesus matters because it has eternal consequences. Amen? So we're going to talk about, uh, if you will, the, the nativity, uh, Christmas, and uh, kind of get an idea of, uh, I, I hope, uh, the significance and, and the why of it. I think it would inspire us this morning. So I, I, I have, uh, I must admit, um, of course, uh, as pastor now for uh, getting close to a little over 20 years, uh, 17 here and four years or so and at, at Magnolia, where I was in Riverside before coming here, um, you know, you put together these these thoughts over the years. Uh, you know, when you're a pastor, you think about these things. And I know not just pastors, but we all do as Christians. So this is just kind of a combination of a bunch of stuff that I've been learning over the course of my, my spiritual journey with the Lord. So I can start off by uh, just asking you to pray with me, but I want to uh, move this and we stand first, and then we'll pray. And I want to read uh, the main verse that I'm going to... Oh, how come it doesn't work? What am I doing wrong, Tanya? Can we push to the next slide, guys? Okay, so we're going to stand and read this verse. It's very well known, very uh, popular uh, for this occasion, right? Uh, the Christmas season. So we'll find it in Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And it says this, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated... God with us. Let's pray. So, uh, precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity to uh, open your word and to, to declare its truths and to um, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to um, uh, reveal to us the, the significance and the importance and why, why the birth of your Son, Jesus, matters. What the whole point is, uh, Lord, so that we might then, uh, in understanding, apply it to our hearts and, and that our faith might grow. And in our faith growing, that we might be faithful witnesses, Lord, to everyone and anyone that would ask us for the reason of the hope that we have. We just thank you and ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So, Sometimes at the beginning of a sermon, you're just going to go ahead and just say what the point is, just to get it out there. So the purpose of uh, Jesus' coming to this world was, 
And if we look at, um, I'm going to go down to the, these are probably kind of small for you to see, but in Luke 19.10 it says, to seek and to save the lost. That's the purpose of Jesus' coming. Pretty simple, huh? Pretty simple to understand that. Not simple to accomplish that. Because it would require that Jesus give his life to pay the debt of our sins. To pay for the penalty of sin, which is death. So, in Jesus' own words, Luke 19.10, it expresses the purpose for why he came. And it's very significant. It is. It does matter. Jesus is seeking the lost because they're lost. You know, when you're lost, do you know how to find your way? No, that's why you're lost. <laughs> People like to say, I found Jesus. And I know it's a cliche in Christian, in Christianese and Christian circles, but that's impossible. You don't, we can't find Jesus because he's not lost. He found us. Amen? So, in, in really, um, if we want to ask and, and answer, one main reason why Jesus' birth is important is because his birth teaches us that God saw that we needed to be found because we were lost. And that's what Luke 19.10 says. It also reveals to us the heart of the Father and the willingness of His Son, Jesus, to find all those that were missing and not one to be lost, if possible. Now, a good example of this would be if you're a parent, you probably would understand this, and we love all our children. In my case, I love my one child, Sammy. And if one of our kids were to be lost... Wouldn't we turn over heaven and earth to find them? I mean, there's nothing in the whole world that would matter at that moment. I never forgot that when we lived in Turkey, my dad was in the Air Force, and I was about 10 years old. My brother Eddie is about five years younger. He's, he was like about six, five or six and we had gone on vacation to a little beach resort in Turkey, about maybe two, three hours from, our, from where we live, which was Izmir. And um, we spent the, I don't know, I can't remember the exact days, but a good number of days there. Had a lot of fun. And my, my parents had rented a van because we went with another family. And they were heading back. And about an hour into the journey back home, we noticed how quiet it was. And immediately my mother says, Eddie! We had left him, six-year-old, at the resort. Somehow maybe he had gone off and we don't know. And the next thing you know, we're driving back to go find him. And I never forgot that look on my mom's face. And the weirdest thing is that he was coming on the, on the road this way, on a motorcycle with some young guy, he was able to somehow let him know that we lived next to the NATO building, which was where my dad worked in the Air Force, and we was, there was a reunion. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost 
Because the Father's heart and Jesus' love for us is that big that he would not want to have one missing son or daughter. Isn't that nice? Isn't that a, 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 a wonderful thing to understand and get a, get a hold of? I mean, we lose material things and kind of go loony sometimes. Maybe something valuable, but not a... What about a person that we love? So that's Jesus' purpose for coming to the world. You see, there's another verse up there following in 1 Timothy 2.19 that backs it up and says, and it's, if I were to summarize 1 Timothy 1.15, it's, it's, it says that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we saw two words here. We, fought, we hear the word lost and we hear the word sinners. It's literally meaning the same thing. And I think we need to have a working definition. What does it mean that we're lost. What does it mean that we're sinners? And so sin, let me just say it kind of like to have a way to understand it, separates us from God. Sin causes us to be distant from God because he's holy. Right? Romans 3.10, if you see up there, uh, none is righteous, no, not one. So how many are not, how many are righteous based on that? None? Not even one? But I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. Well, no, because the law, which we only know mostly the Ten Commandments, but there were like 600 of them. If we break one law, the Bible says we're guilty of all laws of breaking the commandments. So when we break God's standard... God's rules, we break fellowship with him. And someone might say, oh man, but I, but I am a really, I'm, I'm a good guy. I know, we think we are. I'm a good, I'm a good gal, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. And, and, but yeah, based on our standard, based on our bringing the level down of righteousness to where we can maybe somehow believe in our and deceive ourselves that we're good. Let me just give it to you. Kind of like, we do, I do this exercise all the time and, sometimes, and I just feel led to do it again. So I'll just ask, is there anyone here that's never lied? Raise your hand. You've never lied. Well, if you say you haven't, you're lying. Right? Okay, so now you've already broken one law. Now, has anyone here ever stolen something that didn't belong to you? Hmm. Maybe. I'm sure at some point, thou shalt not steal. Jesus would put it even more uh, refined and he would say that if you hate your brother or your sister in your heart, you're guilty of murder. Even though you just did it in your heart. Have you ever hated someone? I have. Of course I have. We all have. At some point. I'm not saying that you stayed there. I'm not saying that you haven't overcome it. I mean, I, I'm just saying, Jesus said, hey, if you look at a woman or a woman looks at a man at lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So you don't have to actually do the act to be guilty of it. In God's eyes, your heart has already performed the deed. 
By the way, most sins start by thinking about it, don't they? Not all. There's a couple that you might fall into it and get trapped into one, but nonetheless. So the standard is so high. That's why Romans 3 says, and we're all guilty, because Romans 3.19 says, the entire world is guilty before God. And here's what the words, uh, uh, Romans 3.19 says, every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. No one has an excuse, is what he's trying to say. We can never come before him and say, but, but let me explain. We, we, we can't do that. So our sin is the act of going against God and his ways. Sin means that we've gone against God. We're against God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we're his enemy. He's our enemy. There's a hostile relationship because we're not in communion with each other. Everyone ever done their own way? I'm going to do things my way, we might say. Okay. You put yourself on the throne of your own heart. And God's not there. So you've committed idolatry. You make yourself God. I'm going to do it my way. This is what I think. So I think I can, I've explained, at least from a biblical perspective, that we're all sinners and that we're all lost and we all need a Savior. Okay? So if sin is the act of going against God and His ways, then it makes sense to say that we're going against something, in this case God, and we're separate from Him because we're going against Him. And by definition, then, sin separates us from God. And that's a huge problem because without God, we cannot enter into his kingdom. By the way, there's, another, there's a destination, the kingdom of God. Or, and I, I don't want to say it in a way to disrupt and uh, to cause anyone here to think that uh, this is uh, the only option. But the Bible talks about the fact that there also is a place called hell. Where you are without God, by, by your own choice. You're against God, and that's where you want to stay. So, what do we need, or what was necessary? Well, Second Corinthians, you'll see it toward the bottom, gives us an explanation. I, lo I really love this, this verse. It's in Second Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. It says, God was in Christ. So when Jesus was born... When Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, his mother, it was God in, was in Christ reconciling himself to the world through his Son so that he would not count our trespasses against us. So what the birth of Jesus means is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself so that our sins wouldn't be counted against us. So, Jesus' birth is about restoration. Jesus' birth is about making it right again. He makes it right with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, when we put our faith in Christ and what He did at Calvary's cross, our faith makes us right on what Jesus did for us. So when we say we trust Christ, we trust his finishing work on the cross, his death on the cross for us, 
That's what makes us right. Not by us being good. By Him being good. By Him having gone to the cross and having paid for our sins. So we can come to the Father through faith and He accepts us because He sees us in His Son Christ. That's what faith does when we believe. So the birth of Jesus matters because now God's not against us. And the reason He's not against us is because He sent His Son to find us. One of the beautiful pictures of the Old Testament is, is the word grace. And what it shows us, because the Hebrew language was a picture word, a word picture language. It usually would be symbols that describe some type of activity. And the word grace in the Old Testament Hebrew is a picture of someone who is stooping down and reaching towards someone to help them. Why does God have to stoop down? Because no matter how hard we try to reach up, we'll never reach Him. So He has to close the gap, the distance between us. Remember, sin separates us. He had to literally, God, in the image of grace in the Old Testament Hebrew, is that God reaches down, He extends His hand, and He reaches us and grabs us and brings us to where He is. That's exactly what He did for me. And I know it. I know where he found me and all of us who have come to Christ. All of us who have said yes to Jesus know where he found us. Lost and separated from him. Without joy, without peace, without a purpose. But when you meet him, he gives us all those things as a gift. So Jesus is the greatest Christmas gift we could ever receive. But remember, you have to receive it. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that a nice story? And it's not just a story. It's, it's a true story of his son, Jesus Christ. So eight centuries before Jesus' birth, before his coming, it was announced by the prophet Isaiah. And that's why I read to you guys beforehand this verse. 800 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in his scroll. Isaiah is one of the most popular Old Testament books. Think about that. God announced through the prophet Isaiah that his son would be born in this fashion. So that's called prophecy. Prophecy is really interesting in that when we read a verse like this, we see that God writes history in advance. If you knew what would happen to your life before it happened, and most of us would like to, some of us maybe not, <laughs> if you saw what would happen. But God in his plan to save the world, it's called the plan of salvation, God wrote in advance what would happen and how and where. And one of the verses is this one here out of Isaiah 17:11 and it's really the same one. I'll read Isaiah 17:11 uh, 14 rather 7:14, 7, 7, my bad. It's 7:14. Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. So the Lord's going to give us some kind of symbol, some kind of a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Then after the ascension of Jesus, after his ministry, after his death, after his resurrection, Matthew, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he quotes Isaiah. So Matthew, the apostle, one of Jesus' disciples, he looks in the Old Testament, he grabs this verse from 800 years earlier, and he brings it into the present and says, this was spoken, and that's the verse there, uh, or this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Who was the prophet? Isaiah and Isaiah seven fourteen. And what does it say? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. What's the name of this child that's going to be born? Well, in this particular verse, it's Emmanuel. Jesus has a lot of names because he's a lot. He's going to do a lot and be a lot for us. And what his name means is what? God with us. Okay? So when we speak about the birth of Jesus, when we speak about Christmas, when we speak about the nativity, this holiday season, for many people it means what? Well, let me give you an example from my work. This particular period, as of Friday, according to my school, I don't know about yours, Tanya, it's called winter break. It's not called Christmas. And of course, with the diversity of people's beliefs, I can understand that they also throw in their Hanukkah and they also throw in uh, other, uh, for instance, celebrations that other people's have. So they just say it's winter break. But I, or they say, enjoy the holidays. That's what they'll say about this time. I go, do you not understand that you just told me to enjoy the holy days? Holidays. Holidays means holy days. So even in your not wanting to maybe even identify with the real reason for the season, like we like to say as Christians, just Jesus, you'd say, oh, no, don't, don't, it's not Christmas break. It's winter break. Enjoy the holidays. Okay, I think I will go enjoy the holy day. Now, the birth of Christ, and I'll talk about this a little bit more at the end, we don't really know the date. I'll just leave it at that. But we do know he was born. So we're, that's what we're focused on. Okay? So, some people think of Christmas as partying. I saw on Facebook friends that were already at restaurants. With We had a little lunch at my work where we all were celebrating the Christmas break, right? Some people, when they think of this time, they think of lights on the homes. My mom told me yesterday as I spoke to her on the phone, they went to this city that was nearby and the whole neighborhood lights it up in competition. Some people might think about a Christmas tree or decorations. Some other people may think about poinsettia, poinsettias. Oh man, don't forget the Christmas music. Now I in particular have gotten over my dislike for Christmas music because I used to work in retail. So right after, anybody here knows what I'm talking about, right after Halloween, not even Thanksgiving anymore, here comes the Christmas music. How many people went to Costco in October? What was already out? Christmas decorations and stuff, right? So for me personally, I, I, I enjoy the songs, Tanya, and uh, ladies, they were great. And I noticed that I actually enjoyed them. But there was a time as I heard them a thousand times 
every Christmas season. It was like, okay, can we change it now back to the regular station? So for some people, it's just music. For some people, Christmas means shopping. Uh, and some people, uh, it means getting gifts or giving gifts. Some people, it means nativity scenes. Other people, it means family gatherings. All of that stuff is fine. Have at it. It just doesn't have priority over the real meaning of Christmas. Amen? It's all fine. Good. Have fun. Love it. Just don't put it ahead of the... And don't allow ourselves... Good morning. Don't allow ourselves to ever think that Christmas is all those other things. It's one thing. God sent His Son Jesus... To seek and to save that which was lost. That's the meaning of it. And when we think of Christmas, we think about the name Emmanuel, that baby that was born that day, sent from heaven, literally. And we'll look at more of that in a minute in John's Gospel. But when we think about Christmas, God with us is what it means, literally, in human flesh. It's an absolute mind-boggler. That God would reduce himself to human. But he did in the son of in his son Jesus. It's, this concept comes from uh, the theological uh, word. Uh, it's used to describe his birth and it's the incarnation. He took him upon himself a tent of human flesh. I'll get to that in a second. So what Christmas is really about, if we think about it as God with us, it's about union. God uniting himself with us. Coming to us. We couldn't reach him. He came to us. As hard as we would try to reach him, we can't because of sin. So he came to us. So Christmas is about union. Christmas is about integration. Christmas is about incorporation. I'm thinking of all the synonyms I can possibly think of to talk about this idea of God with us. So it's not just union. It's not just integration. It's incorporation. He incorporated himself. Corporated. Corporal. Anybody know what corporal means? comes from the Latin Cuerpo, body. He embodied himself with us is what it, it literally means, God with us. When we think about Christmas, it's about participation where we get the word koinonia in the Greek. He jointly participated with us in our nature. He left his divine nature to become one of us. And there's a reason for that, which we'll get into in a minute. Association. I know some of you live in neighborhoods where you have to pay an association fee. Why? Because you're part of a group of homes. They have a nice little golf club or maybe they have a swimming pool or a tennis court or uh, they have a, a lounge or maybe they have uh, a restaurant. And so my friend invites me to go with him over in Banning and he doesn't golf, but I do. And I said, well, hey, dude, if you're not going to use it, let me use it. I'll go golf. So that, that's a, an association Right? Christmas means simply relationship. We are not a religion. We're a, we're a faith that speaks of a relationship that God initiated. God is the one who came in His Son Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. 
God is the one who spoke 800 years before his birth through Isaiah that a, that a woman, a virgin, would have a child and bear a son and they would call his name Emmanuel. How can a virgin have a child? This is the incarnation. It was a, a miraculous uh, uh uh, 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 miraculous, let me think of the right word. It was a miraculous um, performance, if you will, or a miraculous uh, work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Mary, where God was able to deposit into her womb Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the promised one from all the way back to Abraham that would bless all the nations of the earth. See, a lot of people have trouble with that. A lot of people have trouble with the virgin birth and the incarnation. Which is not possible. I mean, a woman can't get pregnant without a man. Well, yeah, but the universe can't be created out of nothing either. But that's what God did. He spoke back in creation and the whole universe leapt into existence out of nothing. So if God could create the whole universe out of nothing, it's not a big deal that he could also allow or cause there to be the incarnation. He's the creator of life. He can do whatever he wants. One of the things that we have to accept as Christians is that God is almighty, all-powerful. There isn't anything that he can't do. He has no limits. And he chose to have his son come into this world, the son, the father, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity that had always been together for all eternity, and Jesus stepped to the plate, if you will. He accepted his role to be the one who would be the savior of the world. And he came into this world over the miraculous miracle, the miracle of the virgin birth and the incarnation. So when we think about Emmanuel... His name reveals to us his character, God's character. In the name Emmanuel, we're revealed God's character. God reveals to us and describes to us who he is. And guess who he is? He's a God that wants to be with us. It used to be that you would name people certain cultures, like the Native American cultures, would name them after some meaning like Sitting Bull or what have you, right? We've kind of lost that in naming people. Although, for instance, Samuel was named Samuel because Samuel, our son, as well as Samuel from the Bible, right, was named because he was asked of God. We asked God for a, for a child. God's faithful. Names meant something in some cultures. In the Hebrew, in the culture of the Jews and the Israelites, their names meant something. Emmanuel gives us the character of who God is and what he's like. It describes to us all of his qualities, all of his values, all of his dealings with us. His attributes are known in the name of one of them. And what is it? God with us. What's it saying? God wants to be with us. He broke through this dark world and sent his son to be light so that we would see the light and come to him. So when we look at this title, Emmanuel, 
It's one of the best titles we could ever, ever have because he, Jesus, is literally God with us. Right? Now, there's no story in John's gospel about his birth. John immediately just gets into who Jesus is when he says in verse 14 of chapter 1 of the gospel of John, and he's going to refer here to this great mystery of the, of the Bible called the Incarnation. He says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the, the word here that became flesh is a Greek word called logos. Logos sounds like logic, right? It is. comes from logos. The idea of logos is the reasoning one. The logical one, the thinking one, the intelligent creator, the intelligent designer. If we can take that out a little bit in English. He became a person. It says, the word, the logos, the one that was forever, eternal, the logical one, became flesh and he dwelt among us. That's what we find in, I think I have it up here. I think the last ver ver uh, verse up there. Jesus, the Logos, from all eternity past, becomes flesh. One way to say this, and it's hard to wrap our minds about it, but the word dwelt means tabernacle. The word dwelt. So here's how you can say it. The Logos... The eternal, logical one, the intelligent designer and creator, the one with, who has thoughts. Are you anything without your thoughts? You're just a big old blob. Thoughts, thinking, consciousness, awareness. God is all that and more because then he becomes flesh, or here's the way you could put it, the word become a body and he tabernacled among us. Or, tabernacle also means tent. So the, the logos, the word, the eternal one, he became, he took upon himself a body and he tented among us. Isn't that interesting? And where do we know about tabernacles from? Old Testament. What did they have? They had a feast in the Old Testament called Sukkos. It was right after the Day of Atonement. Where all of Israel would have to leave their houses and go live in tents for this period of time. Reminding them of when they came out of Egypt and lived in the desert in tents. But what other tent was there with them. How did God appear to them in the Old Testament? In the tabernacle that they built. The tabernacle was where God dwelt. Do you see in the Old Testament, it shows that God had always desired to dwell among His people. And there's a feast. And yet, John takes that Old Testament concept and idea and he identifies this and says, Jesus is the eternal one who tabernacled among us, came to live among us, God with us. 
Now, this is where I'm going to give you where I think Jesus was actually born. Wouldn't it make sense that Jesus would have been born on the Feast of Sukkot, the tabernacle, Feast of Tabernacles? If he fulfilled the Feast of, Pente- of uh, a Passover on the very day of Passover, if he fulfilled the day of Pentecost on the very day of Pentecost, why wouldn't he fulfill his birth or an event as big as this on the same day where he would tabernacle among his people in the Old Testament. So it's my opinion that it's somewhere his birth actually is September or October. Not December. Just if you're going to keep it biblical. There's another way, and it's maybe some other time I'll explain. We can kind of know from John the Baptist's birth. Because he was born six months before Jesus. And we know when it was announced to John the Baptist's father. Because where was he when it was announced to John the Baptist's father? He was in the temple. What was he doing there? He was a priest. And the priest had a certain period of time when they went in. It was called, his time was called the time of Abib. It was during April. So anyway, you can calculate nine months, then the six months after, and then it comes out to be left roughly around the same time as September of October. But that doesn't matter. What matters is his birth. He came to dwell among us. He tented among us. And what do we see according to John 1.14? It says that we have seen his glory. Whose glory? Glory as of the only Son from the Father. If you want to see the glory of the Father, you have to see Jesus. You have to know Jesus. If you want to see all fullness of grace, that's what it says next. If you want to understand the fullness of grace, the fullness of the grace of God the Father, then you have to see the Son. It's in the Son, Jesus. They're equal. And if you want to see the truth of the Father, then you have to see the one who said, I am the truth, Jesus So the birth of Jesus, again, it's difficult for us to understand that he would leave his divine state in heaven and reduce himself to to human flesh, but he did it for one reason. He took upon himself human nature so that he could provide a body. Because John the Baptist, when he saw him walking on the side of the Jordan River, said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus becomes the Lamb of God, or Jesus becomes the sacrifice of God for God, for the sins of all human, the, the human race. So here's what happened in the incarnation. Here's what happened when Emmanuel appeared. The invisible God made himself visible. The eternal one places himself in time and space, temporarily. The great I am, and he is all things, reduces himself to the servant. We see that God made an appointment with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ and he appeared, he showed up and his name is God with us. This name tells us that God himself wanted to be a part of the universe that he created. He's present. We are not lost orphans orphans anymore. We have been adopted if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. 
Then Matthew, because this is written in Matthew, what he calls at the beginning, Emmanuel, Jesus' name. At the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, he says that uh, uh, Emmanuel would come, God with us. And then at the very end, kind of like a bookend, Matthew says in his 28th chapter, verse 20, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. So uh, God with us and God with us always. That's what he wants us to know. And in which ways is God with us? We'll finish with this. So God's with us. And someone might say, and? Big deal. Who cares? See, this is what I do with my classes when I teach at high school. So what? I'll give you the so what. You're not a good teacher if you don't give the so what. If you don't explain the reason or the why. Because God is with us whenever we have a need. God is with us whenever we're weak. God is with us whenever we may find ourselves in temptation. God is with us whenever we're sick. Whenever we're in a test or a trial. Wherever we feel anxiety or worry or fear. God is with us when we feel alone. God is with us when we're in danger. God is with us when we're in tears. God is with us all the time, everywhere, and in all ways. That's why the birth of Jesus matters. But God was with us in the most important part of our, our, and our greatest need, and that was that someone take the penalty of our sins so that, which we couldn't pay for. On him fell the iniquity of us all. And like an umbrella, he covers our sins so we can walk away free. It's a rescue plan. And so, what does God with us bring us because of Him meeting our needs, because of Him being with us when we're weak and in temptation and sick and in anxiety and fear and in danger and with tears? Why, why does that matter? Because then we have forgiveness. And then that means we have reconciliation. We've been restored in a relationship. We have healing. We have provision. We have Joy, we have peace, we have hope, we have abundance, we have blessings, and most importantly, we have salvation. Because God is with us. That's the true meaning of why Jesus was born. So Merry Christmas to you all. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this gift, this priceless gift that you've given us in your son Jesus Christ as everyone understood exactly what we just preached about everyone would accept it it can't be bought there's nothing we can do to earn it there are no efforts that we could perform to merit it it's simply, Lord, uh, an unmerited favor that you offer us in your Son and ask us to receive it by faith. To believe that's why you sent him and to embrace and to accept it like we would any other gift that we receive from friends or family and loved ones. Everything has been done. The, the price has been paid. When Jesus cried out at the cross, it is finished. 
He was literally saying paid in full. Our redemption has been bought. So Father, we pray that we would take the only step necessary for us and ask to accept it, to receive it, to believe it, Father, and to enjoy, Lord, what you have gotten us, what you've brought to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to enjoy uh, this time with our families, with our loved ones, our friends and neighbors and co-workers, Lord, and help us, Lord, in some way to be able to share with them, be able to give them this good news. And we will thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.